0: If you were here last week, we had a service that was quite different than typical. Um, But something happened toward the end of that service that I felt, I don't know how many other people felt it. But as Tim tried to sing Bridge Over Troubled Waters and kept forgetting the lyrics, and Matt came up, whispered in his ear the lyrics, and then joined in harmony. And then gradually, when we got to the chorus of Like a Bridge Over Troubled Water... The congregation joined in impromptu, and I felt in the spirit something shift. I felt something happen. I felt us link arms. I felt us join hands together, that we realize that we're in this together, that while we have separate journeys, our journeys are very intersected. We've come through a season of loss both in numbers and in, and in loved ones. We've come through a season that has left for a number that I'm talking to anyway a, a, a shaky feeling, a feeling of who's next a, a feeling of disconnectedness amongst us and in that one moment as we joined in singing a, an old, a 70s hit I'm surprised how many young people knew it and, and I didn't, I, I just, just remember the one line. I've been singing it all week. But when we, yeah. What's crazy about that is I wasn't here that Sunday. But I was crying because I had prayed six months ago. I could show you the entry and I said, Lord, what is this season that we're in? And he gave me the title, A Bridge Over Covered Water. Yeah. By it's interesting. I don't know how many heard it. She said she was praying about the season we're in, and God gave her the song, a bridge, or the, the phrase, Bridge Over Troubled Waters. And I looked up the lyrics. And yes. I'm just, I'm done it was Jesus all yeah, and I looked up the lyrics, and it's, it's a fantastic song. But we joined hands in that moment, and I, something started, something shifted in our atmosphere. We realized that we're in this together, that your pain is my pain, that my journey is in some ways your journey. And we're together. We're not separate individuals that are trying to figure out how to connect. We are connected. We share something in common. But there are a lot of ruins that are surrounding us. Ruins that need rebuilding. Former devastations that need to be repaired. And I want to share. I I had a a sermon all planned for almost since Tim contacted me. And then I don't know, middle of this week, he dropped Nehemiah into my mind, and I'm like, "Am I supposed to substitute it?" And he he gave me freedom to do what I needed to do. So I I can't really read all of it because it's like four or five chapters. But we know the story. Nehemiah had had a report from home that Jerusalem was in devastation. That the people had gone back. He asked, "How are those who returned?" And they were like, "The city's in ruins. The gates aren't. The the walls are, are all down. The gates aren't up. Everything's been burned. It's really a mess." And it tore at Nehemiah's heart, and so he prayed that God would give him favor. And he went for the king. He went for the king, and the king said, sure, you go. And so he goes, and he's there, and at night, in the middle of the night, without telling anybody, he got up in the middle of the night and surveyed the damage. Surveying damage is a very painful thing to do. We, we want to get past our pain. We want to get through it too quickly. But I encourage us when we're in a time of grief and pain to survey it, to look into it. We need to survey the damage. Yeah, God's going to make everything turn out all right. And I don't say that flippantly. I know that he does. But if we want to rebuild, we need to look at the devastations and see what needs to be done so we can take a step forward. And I guess the governor or the people that are there just didn't like it. They were They were aggravated. And they start a question. What do you think you're doing? Do you have any right to be doing this? And Nehemiah responded. The God of heaven will help us succeed. We are his servants. So we're going to start rebuilding. We are his servants. We need to start rebuilding. And then Nehemiah 3 talks about each person doing their part of the wall. And the priests did it. Gold makers did it. Perfumers did it. And it says that there are some places where it said the nobles didn't really want to help. And some did it with joy and zeal and there are various adjectives and stuff describing that in there and I wanted to pick up with, with chapter 4 of, of Nehemiah and I don't really pretend to know how to pronounce words so at least names that are foreign Sanballat was very angry we learned that we were, we were rebuilding the wall and he flew into a rage and mocked the Jews saying in front of his friends in the Samaritan army what does this bunch of poor feeble Jew, Jews think they're doing? Do they think they can build the wall in a single day just by offering a few sacrifices? Do they really think that they can make something of stones from a rubbish heap and charred ones at that? The enemy wants to taunt us. Do you really think you can make anything of this church? Tobiah remarked, that stone wall is going to collapse even if a fox would stand on it. It's not going to work. It'll all come to nothing. Just wait and see. It's all going to come crashing down. But they kept on building. After a while, the wall was uh, actually, you know, what did Nehemiah do? He went to God and he said, my phone flipped, hear us, O God, for we, we are being mocked. May their scoffing, he, he prayed an old covenant prayer that I wouldn't really recommend us praying. He prayed that, it would be, it would, uh, that their scoffing would fall back on them. Then the wall was completed and the opponents didn't like it. And they started to make plans to come and fight. And to cause confusion. And they started making these plans. And then weariness sets in. We're so tired. I'm tired of this. We've been at this. Look at all this rubble. There is no way we can do this. We are just so tired. And then after that they started hearing the plans of their enemies. And fear set in. There, we're being attacked from every side. What are we going to do? And so the weariness and the fear and there's discouragement. I'm just assuming discouragement. The Bible doesn't say it. I don't want to put words in people's mouths but, or the Bible's mouth. But you know, when we're tired and fear sets in and our, our victory doesn't feel assured, discouragement soon comes on its heels. And, and, and then Nehemiah said something. He said, don't be afraid of the enemy. Focus on the master. Remember him and fight for your family. Fight for your brothers and sisters. Fight for your wives and your sons and your daughters. So I wanna, that's the challenge I want to ask us in a sense today. There's a lot of pain and we're grieving and, there's a, and we feel disconnected. If I feel disconnected from you, it's my fault. Am I willing to fight? Am I willing to risk? Am I willing to step out and I don't in, in risk, be vulnerable and start to connect? because there's always a fear of rejection that's there. After that um, the work went on, we know that, they worked with a weapon in one hand and a tool in the other that they kept building. Each had a section of the wall, so they're, they had the weapons in their hands, so they are ready to fight, and, and Nehemiah said, when you hear the trumpet sound, come to where the trumpet is being sounded, so you drop your work. We had a trumpet sound in the last couple of weeks, and everybody went to where the need was. We dropped what we were doing, and we went to that section of the wall that needed support. And, that, and that's what we need to be doing. But we still have our section... I hate the word, but, sorry. We each have our sections of the wall that we need to keep on working on. Work went on. After that, divisions started we're being, we're being The divisions started rising from within. They started grumbling against each other. We're being treated unfairly. They're not being fair. They're charging us exorbitant taxes and rent for our land or we're going to be sold into slavery. And... and the, this is the one noble thing that I feel like the nobles did I, it seemed like they're on both sides and it's interesting if you read in chapter 6 throughout the entire building process the opponents were in communication with the nobles of the land the, the opponents of the work were in, were in communication with the nobles who were kind of the, the overseers and who are we in communication with? during our rebuilding process. But, oh, whoa. Anyway. The nobles then said, fine, we'll give everything back. They achieve harmony and they keep building. And in 52 weeks, a little over seven weeks, they were able to rebuild the wall. Each one working on their part. So what does it have to do with us, aside from the fact, does that story sound familiar? Because it sounds familiar to me. The attacks, the discouragement, the fear, the weariness, the the. The feeling like giving up. I didn't even. We need each other. We are building a church that is just one church in a kingdom that is spreading throughout this world. That started with one man, then twelve disciples, then became seventy and three thousand were added, five thousand were added, and now is over two point six billion Christians in the world. There is no longer any center of Christianity. It started in Jerusalem, then it was in Antioch for a while, and then it was in Rome for a while. And now there is no geographical center of Christianity because it's spread. And we we're just a small part of that. And we each have a section, a puzzle piece, so to speak. We should have been given puzzle pieces in our lives. It's kind of like our section of the wall. Our puzzle piece is made up of our, our personality. We have different personalities. We have different interests. We have different gifts talents. We each have different focus groups, target audience. There are, there are some among us who really love working with with toddlers. There are some who prefer teenagers. There are some who prefer working with women. You have, you have a target audience. Generally, you have a target audience. When, when I was younger, I liked teaching and I could teach throughout. I mean, I would teach, I, could, I had a lot of little kids, so I could teach little kids and I could, you know. But as I've, as I've Focused on what God wants. I'm finding a target group. We all have different passions. Some of us, our heart bleeds for young people going through that landmine of the teenage years. Facing rejection and trying to figure out who they are in the midst of all that. Some of us have a heart for the marriages that need building up. that need restoring. that need strengthening. Some of us have a heart for young kids to know the power that resides in them even though they're still under three feet tall. There are different things we bleed for. And you can find your piece of the puzzle by thinking about that. Garth had sent a bunch of, uh, several links. And, and while well, the email that Tim sent, Garth had suggested some links. The, the, the Godhead all gives gifts for us. And the Father gives gifts you're born with. Serving, teaching, prophesying, mercy, administration, giving, and I'm missing one. Don't know which one I'm missing. But anyway, you're born with those gifts. What are they? And if you're trying to figure it out, I have a question to ask you. You want to know what your section of the wall is, your puzzle piece. What energizes you? Uh, well, it was about a year ago in the summer. I entered the season where God was, I had asked him, show me what breaks your heart. What, what, get rid of anything in my heart that is not of you, that, that, that's keeping me from loving people the way you love them. It was what it, actually what it was. And he started revealing stuff. If you ask God to reveal stuff to you, it's not so pleasant when it starts coming up. And there was a lot of... I I would walk out of the store, and I would see somebody, and instantly a thought would come to my mind, and I was like, oh, just grieve. So I was in this process of um, him kind of guiding me, showing me some things. And in the middle of that, I broke my rib. I didn't know I broke it until I got an x-ray. And so I'm in this excruciating pain. I could hardly move. I can't sleep. And, and, and I'm, so I'm weary. And that happened on a Friday. And I, I think, if I'm not mistaken, it was either a Sunday night or a Tuesday night that Anthony called me in the morning. Did Isaiah die on a Sunday or Tuesday? I'm sorry, I can't. The two, I was thinking it was a Tuesday, but then I, Tuesday morning I get this call from Anthony that Isaiah that had died, and I was just instantly plunged into grief for myself and for obviously for my sister and my mom and my, nep- my nephews. And, and then, if I can be really honest, that, that week... So I, it, was, it, was in, it was in that week that I realized the cost of my walls walls seemed to protect and I could do the whole message on walls but it was in that week that I realized what they had cost me and the distance that had been created and the price I was paying and that so I had grieving, my own grieving for my niece, the pain that I was feeling for Anthony and, and Caleb and, T- and Tony and, and Riley and, and my mom, and, and then this grief of, of the distance that I, had, that I myself had, that the way I'd shut people out. And so I was physically exhausted. Emotionally, I was down, and spiritually, I was discouraged. And I ended that week with nothing in me. And I, had, I came to church and I had to teach Sunday school. A theology class, basically. You're teaching Sunday school, and I'm spiritually, emotionally, physically exhausted. I almost didn't do it. But I left that class feeling like I could conquer the world. I felt like I'd slept for 20 hours. I walked from the class to the sanctuary, and I was like, I was lighter than a feather. I was no longer weary. When you find that thing that you do that fills you up, that's your piece of the puzzle, at least one piece. what energizes you shortly after that, we had two young adults move into our home an eighteen year old young man moved in who was homeless, and the day after he moved in, a young lady with two preschoolers moved in and so and I'm, we're trying to figure out what to do with the young man, help him get his identity, his identity papers, his social security and and stuff, and trying to help him put the game console down and do something and then I, had, I was taking her back and forth to work watching her kids from 3 to 11 every day and and I was just I was starting to snap at everybody and I'm like and I, and I felt guilty I felt guilty that serving was wearying me because Christians are supposed to serve and I felt Like, what's wrong with me? And he said to me, yes, you are called to serve for this season, but serving is not your gifting, so it drains you. It doesn't mean you don't have to do it. You need to make sure you're doing things that energize you. So there are things that energize you, and there are things that drain you, and you're still following Christ. It doesn't make you any less of a Christian if serving or giving drains you. If you just don't find your oomph, giving if you kind of feel mm, some people when they write a check out they love to give other people feel like they have to kind of convince themselves so it's, it's okay your area that God has gifted you in will fill you with energy and the areas that he is not will drain you but it does not mean that you don't have to do it when the trumpet sounds we go to whatever section of the wall needs help wherever the battle is. If you had three minutes, if if something happens, okay, when we heard about the loss, what happened with the chucks, what's your initial response? Some people are like, I got to take them food. Some people are, I'm going to go down and pray. Some people want to text them. What is your response? What is your first, what is the, what are the needs that you notice? This is another clue as to what your puzzle piece might be. Because that's where, that's where your mind goes. That's where you're wired. Some people instantly think there's going to be a lot of people there. They're going to need food. Others, th- others think there's probably a lot of people coming. There's probably tired. I'll give them my space. But you know what? I'm going to let them know that I'm thinking about them and I'm praying for them. Both are needed. All of it's needed. Harold Everly says that when you are walking in your anointing, There will be times that your heart is so in the moment that you realize, I am created for this. This is what I was made for. What gives you that feeling? Where am I? This is my destiny. If I can do this one thing, I will be fulfilled. I was... um, Becky sometimes wearies me. I'm not sure where she is. She was sitting right back there. She's right there. I watch her going around. This place looks beautiful. If it had been left up to me, it would still look the same as what it was. And I was watching her busy. I said, and I said oh, something about if she gets tired, she said, no, it energizes her. I'm glad she does it. But doing the things that she does and rearranging flowers and all that energizes her. To me, I'd, for one thing, you wouldn't like what it looked like if I did it. <laughs> But we also need to earnestly desire. You need to, you need to find your puzzle piece. And part of that is hunger. Earnestly desire the gifts. He, it's like the spirit is drawn to hunger. What section of the wall is yours? And what, what is needed there? And you need to hunger for that. And we also need to go where the needs are. We get out of our comfort zone, so to speak. Because there are some... You, get, you can get comfortable because you're in, in a certain situation because you're used to using your puzzle piece and you can use it and, and you do well. And then you're in other places you feel uncomfortable or you need to grow and you stretch. When you change your environment, the needs pull on you. And you, your, your vision, your heart, your passion expand. You're still going to have your focus gifts, but don't, don't be afraid to go where, oh man, I can't do that. Wow, I'm speaking to myself now because I can hear various times I say, well, that's just not, I would rather do this than that. But anyway, when you go to the sections of the wall that are different than yours, needs pull on you. And they're going to pull something out of you that you didn't know was there. The Spirit of God resides within each one of us. And so I might not be a prophet. I certainly can prophesy. And as long as I'm thinking, well, I'm not a prophet, I can't really prophesy. And I'm hardly ever good at it. I I don't know what to say. I'm going to keep my mouth shut, if you can imagine that. I do sometimes. But I'm not going to take the opportunity. I'm not going to look for opportunities. So go. Get out of your comfort zone. Go to where the needs are. Pursue. The gifts are all about the grace that God gives you. And he gives in the moment. He doesn't equip us before we're called. He doesn't equip it. I don't... I wish... I really wish, I love it, when God gives me a word or how to pray for somebody before I walk up to them. I like him to say, go give this person this word. I like that. Because it's pretty clear. It still might not be right on. I, I recognize that sometimes I, I mean, but I get freaked out when I'm, nothing comes. I'm supposed to just go to a person. I have to pray. And I'm like, Whoa. I want it to come first. I want that, the, the words to come first. But the grace comes when I step out and I go there in obedience. Then the grace comes. And you need to practice. you think if the puzzle piece is naturally. If you have a natural gift, you still do need to learn how to perfect it. You need to practice it. I could have the gift of teaching, but if I never taught, number one, I'd be wasting the gift that I have, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't develop it. So if you're looking, if you want the gift of prophecy, the the gifts, the Spirit's gifts anyway, he drops them in a moment. And there there are the three, tongues, interpretation, and prophecy. That's like the mouth of God to share. When when you got the um, faith, gifts of healing, and miracles, that's the hands of God. And then you got the discernment, word of knowledge, and word of wisdom. That's the eyes of God. So you get this that drops in your hand and you're pursuing it. You really want to speak God's word to people. You gotta practice it. And as you as you take those tests and you determine one of your one of your gifts is prophecy, you're gonna to have to practice it. And by practicing it at Walmart, here is a safe place to practice. Get out of your comfort zone and go to someone and just pray for a word for it. As you start praying, get whatever comes to mind. And we're so afraid of being wrong. Being wrong is not a false prophet. That's a whole another topic. So we've got these walls that we need building, and we each have a section of the wall. We've each we get we now we got we gotta each section connects to the other. We're putting this I'm mixing metaphors, but we're putting this puzzle together. And before I start on my section of the wall, or we start on our section of the wall, we need to know who we are. We need to know who we are in Christ. My identity does not come from this piece of the pu- this puzzle piece. This isn't who I am. My identity comes from who I am in Christ. I'm His child first, and He doesn't want to use you. Um, our oldest son, Jared, from the time he could walk, he followed his dad around. I, I didn't know a two-year-old, three-year-old could spend hours sitting still in a combine, and I think he has one or two that can do that now too. But that's how that's how he learned. Not one time in all that time, I don't think I can did he say, "Boy, I can't wait to use this kid. I can't wait. Till he's old enough to be able to drive a tractor, and I'll be able to use him. He'll be a real asset." He wasn't asset. He wasn't thinking about how he could use his son. He was enjoying the companionship. And in the process, his son was learning how to farm. And they worked together. They did it together. And gradually, as they were together, Butcher would give him more and more things to do. He would hand him, have him do something like this. He saw his proficiency in something. He was mowing the lawn before he was even heavy enough to keep the seat down. (laughs) But, you know, that's what God wants. It's a relationship with him first. And as we follow him around we learn to do the things we learn he developed the heart for farming because he he got it from his dad so we develop God's heart for people as we follow him around he's not interested in using us we're not slaves we're his kids and he's saying hey i got that section of the wall i'd like to build how about we do it together you've got these pieces these tools i've given you and you're not gonna, we're going to work on this together How about we build that wall? You ready? Are you ready to build that wall with me? Are you ready to do this with me? It's going to be an adventure. This is just one piece of a 300-piece puzzle. I think it's a 300-piece puzzle. And there's 150 of us, and I have one or two pieces, and you all each have a piece. And if you notice, there are places that project, and there are places that are indentations. What's that for? So they fit together, right? So you have places that protrude. I want to label them your strengths, and I have weaknesses. And as we put them together, it becomes a picture, it becomes a whole. I need you, because there are things that I can't do or don't do well. I may be called to do it. when the trumpet sounds, I'll go but I'm not going to generally be in some areas as proficient as, as other people are. And so our needs, our, our puzzle pieces fit together as your strengths meet my weaknesses and my weaknesses meet your strengths. And they, they fit together. But there's a, there's, a, there's a need for honor there because often what can happen is that we don't like what another person brings or we don't like what we bring. And we want someone... Or ourselves to have another puzzle piece. We want that person to be more like this person. And we don't want to... We we, we recognize, yeah, that person's a prophet, but I sure wish they could be more sensitive. Maybe they do need to be more sensitive. But if you honor them as a prophet, they come to you as a prophet you can receive. And they do... The Holy Spirit needs to refine our personalities because our gifts flow through our personality and our personality has weaknesses at times that we need... That needs to be... I'm not saying... I'm not saying that some a prophet can come up to you and just say whatever he wants, whatever tone of voice or whatever spirit. No, I'm not saying that. But when we honor the gifts that each other bring, if, if my section of the wall butts up to your section of the wall, it's in honoring you that our sections come together. And if I don't like the way you build, and I'm thinking i ain't having no part in what you're building, there's going to be a breach in that wall because I can't connect my section to your section. You also need to recognize... That there's no need. There is no need to be worried about anybody else. I asked Nikki. She never finished the math problem. I sent Nikki a math problem to figure out the probability of two people in a congregation of 150 having the same personality gifts, talent, the, the, the same mix. And I didn't even. I, I thought we threw a few other variables thrown there. At first, she said, oh, "I think there's about 1,008 possibilities." So, but even that doesn't take into. I didn't give her heart, passion. And personalities really, there's different nuances to personalities. They're just, so you are the only you in this congregation. This is, is, nobody else has this puzzle piece. Nobody else has this puzzle piece. So when we're putting this puzzle piece together, there will come a time when I need to put this puzzle piece in the puzzle. It may not be for a while. We might not be working on that for a while. There might be other areas of the puzzle that are being worked on. I still got this puzzle piece here. I remember one time being discouraged because. Wondering if I was ever going to use my puzzle piece, and he said, "I have given." He said, "If I have given you this piece, but the if wasn't like Satan's if. Well, if that's true, it was just kind of a given. I've given you this puzzle piece. There will be space for it. God has given some of us puzzle pieces that we're wondering when we're ever going to use them. And there's there's a there's a heart in us. There's a vision. There's a passion. There's a there's something inside of us that's driving to do to serve in this way." And we can see other people. Everybody else, is, everybody else is using what you've given them. Everybody else is walking in their gifts. And I'm so tired of not. I want to. And it's like. It just might not be time right now. But there will come a time. And we need to be ready. When that part. We can place that puzzle piece. If well, the gifts that he's given you. We need. And there will come a time to use it. Nobody else has the gifts that I have. Comparison has to go. Comparison has a pull to it. It will either pull you to pride and puffed up or it'll pull you down with with trying to figure out who else you can be. Lisa Bevere says it this way, if I can get that. Comparison has a pull to it. If allowed to, it will always move you away from your truest center. It will attempt to puff you up through the insidious vehicle of pride or push you down through this tyranny of insecurity. You have a puzzle piece, and we need that puzzle piece. You have a section of the wall that needs building, and you are the only one that can build it. And we need you. We need you. If we can re- to repair, to rebuild. I don't have yours. You don't have mine. So, it, and it it takes a while to like my puzzle piece. Sometimes puzzle pieces get hidden or get damaged. Oh, you're just—you're too bossy. You need to stop talking so much. You're always trying to talk to people, you're always trying to convince them to stuff, and so we stick the puzzle piece in the back, because when we're immature, we don't always know how to use it. And so you're just bossy. You're always telling people what to do. You have to talk too much. You have to—can't you quiet down so that puzzle piece gets shoved in the back pocket? And so I try to find another piece that I can use, that everybody wants, everybody likes in this puzzle piece, it wasn't that we were, you were, I, you it wasn't that I was too bossy, it wasn't that I talked too much, I had gifts of leadership and I had the gift of teaching so I'm very articulate and my personality is wired and stuff that I'm, that I'm quick and I can misuse it to argue with people but that's part of my personality, I do like to say that argue, the Latin word for argue really means to make clearer so, okay I kind of hung on to that one when I saw it. (laughs) But people have damaged your puzzle piece too. They've said things to you that have caused you to hide your puzzle piece because you haven't really seen it for what it is. The area of the puzzle isn't being worked on, and so it feels like it's never going to be used, and you feel so odd, so weird, so different. So you shove that puzzle piece in the back pocket. I want to encourage you to, what are the things... What are the things that people have said that have wounded you the most? I want you to look at that devastation. Look at that rubble. And is there really a puzzle piece there hiding under there? When, when people insult us, the things that hurt the most are the things that strike at who we are. Or, or, or strike their personal um, as an example, love languages, the most devastation is done for a child when when, it's done, when the area of neglect is in their area of their love language. So a child, you have two children in the home and one whose love language is words of affirmation and the other one whose love language is touch. If dad was constantly praising and really affirmative, the child with words of affirmation is going to grow up feeling loved. The child that has a love language of touch is going to, not grow, up, is going to grow up feeling that like they weren't loved. So, the, so it's more damaging. Insults, words of accusation, um, word curses are more damaging if it's done in the area that you're really gifted in because the enemy doesn't want you using this puzzle piece. He wants that thing shredded. He wants it just torn to pieces, put in your back pocket, never to be used again. And he wants to go after that. So if you were told you're too bossy, I want to say you're probably a leader. No, you are a leader. You've got leadership skills. If you're told that you're shy and you just can't talk around people you like one-on-one conversation and you're really meant to be in conversation just meeting people one-on-one. Strengths and weaknesses are flip sides of the same thing. Look at those things that have insulted you that have caused you to that have hurt that you've said I'll never or that have caused you to put your puzzle piece in the back pocket. And what, what lie have you come to believe because of those words? What is, what is it and there's a gift there that God wants you to use. Um, if we were putting this puzzle together, would it be arrogant for me to say, hey, I think my piece fits there? No. There's no, way, there's no way that if I'm putting this puzzle piece together and we're working as a family, and I say, whoa, wait a minute, I think I found the piece, that's the piece that fits there. It is not arrogant for you to say, I think I can do this. It's not arrogant for you to say, I have the gift of, and you fill in the blank. It's not arrogant for you to step forward and say, this is what my goal is, this is what my passion is, this is what my dream is, I want to do it. Now, suppose I say, hey, I think this puzzle piece fits there, and it doesn't quite fit right. I tried. I, it doesn't need, I don't need to say, oh, well, that puzzle piece is no good, and throw it away. I was wrong, I'm not even going to help with this puzzle anymore, I'm tired of that. Sometimes, sometimes I think I can do so. I, I tend to think I can do more than I can do. <laughs> but it's a, so, you know, and I got to back up and say, because I dive in the water before I've tested it, and then once I hit the water, I'm thinking, oh, why did I dive? But if I, if I say, hey, I think, this, I think I have what we need. I think I bring something to this building that the church needs. And it doesn't work out. It's okay. I think it will because I think God loves when we step out. He, he loves it when you say, I'm going to try. And he meets us right there. And you can never determine really beforehand whether it, usually with a puzzle piece, depending on how easy it is, you can pretty well tell, yeah, that's the right puzzle piece. So metaphors and analogies always break down. But what this, using a puzzle, fails to recognize is what God does to this puzzle piece once I've placed it. So I bring something, you bring something, we all bring something to this church that's needed. We may not feel like it, but the moment I step out and say, I'm going to try this, we need this. I think I can do this. God meets us in that moment and multiplies our efforts like he multiplied the loaves and the fish. So what needs do you see? What is hurting? And can we step out? And can I, I'm going to try, I'm going to start working on this section of the wall without, without comparison, without, if we're, if we're, if I'm building a section of the wall and you're building a section of the wall and I step over and say, here, help me, let me help you with that. Our fear of rejection has kept us from doing that. because fear of rejection and our fear of failure because we think everybody's going to say, what makes you think you can do that? We feel like that. Do we? I do. I have in the past. And it comes back to our identity. I'm a child of God first. I'm a bricklayer second. I'm his kid. And he's going to meet me there. And if If it doesn't work out, I've just learned something new about myself, and I've tried. If kids stopped learning to ride bike every time they fell, there would be nobody on two wheels They would never, if they stopped. Chris Vallotton said that we are, um, we've been commanded to rise and shine, not rise and reflect. You are the only you. You have a section of the wall that needs to be built. You bring something to this congregation that nobody else brings. And we connected last week. We joined hands. We are in this together. We are walking this journey together. It's interesting to me. We have separate walks, but yet they're united walks. They're the same walk. And, and we need each other. And we need to know what our puzzle piece is and have the courage to share it and stop looking around to see if other people have the same puzzle piece. If you have a puzzle puzzle where all the pieces are the exact same color and the exact same shape, oh, it's easy to put together, but, I mean, how many many people want to put together a 500-piece puzzle where they're all shaped the exact same way and they have the same color? (laughs) They're all different, and we each have some. So I want to encourage us as we go through this season, as we come out of this season. That we, that we look at the devastations in our own lives. We look at the rubble that's around us. And where can I start building? What's my section of the wall? What's my piece of the puzzle that I can bring? So that we can build together. So that what we're building, it, so that what God has ordained will It will happen. And we're just one among many. This is how the kingdom is spread. The kingdom is advanced through each of us using our puzzle. We embrace it. I like my puzzle piece. It might only be one. Let's hope I get right back in the right box. I like my puzzle piece. Do you like yours? And I need your puzzle pieces too. So let's start rebuilding our walls. Let's start join let's keep our hands joined as we work together. Here for us, personally, corporately, and in the kingdom at large. All right, I want to pray. Father, I thank you that you have designed each one of us differently, that you have given each one of us gifts that we have different personalities, that we each have something that you have designed for us to do in our personal lives, in our life here as a church, and in the world at large, and in the kingdom at large. If we're uncertain as to what our piece of the puzzle is, would you reveal that to us? If there are puzzle pieces that we've been given that have been damaged by the words and thoughts and actions of others, we bring them to you and ask that you heal them. That you would restore them. To what they, what you designed them to be. We know that this is. We will succeed because you have given this to us. That we are your servants. And we ask. That, that you would. That your presence, that your strengthening, would strengthen our grip on each other's hands. I, I bring a I speak. I, I ask for hope to rise. Would you? Would you fill us with hope? In those moments we step out, we know that you are faithful to multiply our efforts. You are faithful. We will never, there is never a day that you are not beside us and there is never a moment that we don't step out in obedience that you don't meet us right there. I I marvel, Papa, that you, the Almighty God, the Creator of the universe, you want to You want to build your kingdom here. You want to build this church here through our efforts. You want to partner with us. But we're your kids. You're our dad. And we want to partner with you to build. Will you teach us? Will you show us? And will you make us one? In Jesus' name, amen.